Hi, and welcome to the Sales Enablement Pro Podcast. I am Shauna Simawang. Sales enablement is a constantly evolving space, and we're here to help professionals stay up to date on the latest trends and best practices so that they can be more effective in their jobs. Today, I'm excited to have J.D. Miller, the Chief Revenue Officer at Modus, join us. J.D., I would love for you to introduce yourself, your role, and your organization to our audience. Thanks. Um, Well, I'm J.D. Miller, and I'm a Chicagoan. Uh, I went to school at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, originally thinking that I'd be an attorney. Uh, But the summer before law school, I did an internship in the Clinton White House and realized that the lawyers really weren't having a lot of fun, and so I needed a new career goal. Um, I had an undergraduate degree that was a double major in philosophy and communication with minor in literature, um, which is a really great pre-law curriculum that doesn't lend itself to any specific career. Uh, I knew that I wasn't going to become a philosopher, and so I stayed for a master's degree in communication where we were studying how groups of people formed communities online. Um, It was the late 90s, and so a degree in social networking was a strange new thing, and ultimately it started me in a job at a small tech startup that grew to be a really big public company, and so a career in technology sales was born. If we fast forward 20 years, uh, I finished the PhD in tech-enabled communication, and professionally I've done a series of roles at rapidly growing software companies, generally in the sales or marketing functions. So today I'm the Chief Revenue Officer at Modus, where I run the sales and marketing teams, and we have a series of solutions that help organizations to do what we call working anywhere. Uh, It really helps people figure out how to ensure that employees have the phones, internet connections, home office setups and car reimbursements they need to make sure they can be as efficient and effective as possible in this new paradigm of work where everyone seems to be working from home. Yes, I was going to say uh, right now your company is very well positioned given the state of the world. Now, you have a wide range of experience, JD, leading teams across the business, including marketing and sales. So how has this experience uh, in many types of revenue-facing roles really helped to set you up for success as a revenue leader? You know, there's a lot of discussion lately about the role of the CRO and how that's different from what people might historically have thought of simply the head of sales. Um, When you're responsible for all revenue generating functions, you certainly have to have solid sales skills, but you also need to be able to lead in areas of partnership, customer retention, customer satisfaction. You need to have some financial concepts, marketing, online sales, and a whole lot more. Uh, So most of my career has been spent in private equity backed companies who generally operate on a three or four year investment drumbeat. And that really let me uh, be fortunate enough to be able to change directions and strategies with a new investor or a new role pretty frequently. Um, Because of that, as a leader, I don't think that I have to know exactly how to do every one of my team members' roles. Um, My management style has been much more surrounding myself with people who are really smart and capable in each of their functions and let them go at it. Um, But it's important that I'm able to have good conversations with team members about their function and engage in strategic discussions credibly. So while I might not personally know exactly how to go bid on today's trending Google AdWords, I still need to be able to know what it's all about and how it can drive us forward. And I think that wide range of experience with all the PE firms really has given me that, you know, probably more than an inch deep, but that mile deep knowledge and a lot of different functions that, that lets me do that. 
I think that's fantastic. Now, in addition to an expansive professional background, as you mentioned in your introduction, um, you have a, a very unique um, educational background with your master's degree in, in virtual and collaboration technologies and the PhD in, in communication technology. Now, as businesses are, are rapidly evolving um, and trying to adopt these types of technologies um, this past year, I mean, really out of necessity, you know, I think this is an area where you have a lot of expertise. So I would love to get your opinion and your perspective. How can businesses effectively utilize these types of technologies to really maximize collaboration across the revenue facing teams? I think that's a great question uh, because you're right. This has really been a year where virtual work has come into the spotlight. Um, and at Modus, we developed this hashtag we call Work Anywhere. Um, and I think a year ago, a lot of companies who had never thought about it before suddenly had to implement this Work Anywhere strategy in a matter of days when the pandemic came and sent people home. Um, and so that has some very tactical things, like making sure everyone's connected by phone and internet at home to do their job. Uh, but there's also higher level thinking, like how are you going to build a sense of connection across your sales team? Are you going to create trust online between your sellers and your clients? How do you actually create a sense of community and loyalty to your company? And how do you really have teams who don't just manage to meet in Zoom, but actually flourish in the environment? Um, and so when I think about you know, how the communication technology background and, and PhD kind of plays in, um, it's really helped us to pay a lot of attention to what people are saying. Um, and we're seeing that a lot of companies who have employees and jobs that used to think they couldn't do them at home at all, suddenly, you know, seeing that it works and that their future is going to be a workforce that demands this flexibility for at least part of their work week. Um, and so when I think about the future and I put on my academic hat, uh, I don't think that people are necessarily ever going back to work or back to the office uh, in the way that we used to do that five days a week before. Um, instead at Modus, we talk about work forward. Um, and the kind of the work forward paradigm is one where uh, people get to choose when they want to be in the office and when they don't. Um, and so if that's what the paradigm is going to be, and you're going to be an employer that people want to work for, um, it's really essential that their online experience isn't just a second choice or an afterthought. Um, it really needs to be equally rich and equally valuable when you engage with someone online. Um, so what does that mean tactically? Well, you know, very prosaically, for companies that have physical offices, uh, they need to be sure that they have easy access to teleconferencing equipment and good microphones and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I also think there are a lot of implications for how a, a professional team structures their workday. Um, you know, I've been talking with a lot of my colleagues in sales who just finished their quarterly sales kickoffs or their, you know, QBRs. And those events used to be, you know, sending everyone out to a hotel ballroom for two or three days and they'd sit for eight hours a day and just absorb all of this training. Um, and people really aren't structured to work that way, even then when they're face to face. Um, but now if you're going to do it online, we know that meeting on, you know, any sort of teleconferencing system, you really get diminishing returns of attention if you want someone to sit in front of a video camera for eight hours. Um, so, you know, we've really had to think in our sales team about how you restructure learning experiences uh, and our own sales kickoff instead of being an intensive two day event now is really stretched out across maybe two or three weeks. Um, and, you know, each day there's maybe one or two 45 minute sessions that you can, you know, dial into or, or, or get into. So, um, you know, I, I'm thinking a lot about um, as businesses are adopting to technology. Um, 
you know, figuring out how you can actually embrace the characteristics of the technology to make it a perfect experience in itself, not this sort of secondary carbon copy of something in person. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Now, JD, right now, I think a lot of organizations, you know, and, and to the point you just kind of made, they're they're starting to think about how do we shift back into in-person environments, um, or, or maybe to your point, some sort of a, a hybrid in-person and, and virtual environment. So do you have any advice or, or, or how how should they go about doing that effectively while still being able to take advantage of a lot of the lessons that they, they might've learned when they had to shift to virtual in the first place last year? Yeah, great question. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about how we did that with our own sales kickoff uh, at the beginning of the year, um, because it, we really had to think a lot about, uh, given the state of the pandemic, is it going to be entirely virtual? Are we ready to be in person? Are we ready for some people to be in person and so on? The team really sat down and, and looked at the basics of our of our sales meeting and said, if we were all together, you know, what would we be doing? We'd be wanting to have training. We'd be wanting to build community amongst the participants. And then we also have a really strong philanthropic um, commitment that every time our teams come together, we want to do something good for the local community. Um, ultimately, the, the state of the virus in Illinois said we had to be uh, a virtual event. Um, but we really wanted to figure out how could we get each of those, those three themes into our virtual meeting. Um, and so it started with uh, a conversation I had with someone who works at the Auditorium Theater. It's a big historic theater downtown Chicago. Um, and, you know, with the pandemic, they didn't have their doors shut for nine or 10 months. So they were really struggling. And we thought about sort of our philanthropic uh, hat and said, how could we help this community organization? And how could we use who they are as a foundation for us to do our training and our community building and you know all of our online stuff? Um, so we asked them to be our virtual host for us. And what that meant was, you know, it's a five thousand seat you know auditorium that's a hundred years old. I got to be there live in person with a you know a handful of my my sales team, um, but the other you know hundred plus participants were dialing in virtually. And so we did our different training sessions and they were broken up by what we call sort of an only at Modus experience where, you know, we took the camera and went on a tour of the theater and had, you know, the stage manager show us, you know, up in the upper rafters where no audience member had ever been, you know, how do they make it thunder and lightning down on the stage? Um, we had a performer do a, you know, a discussion about um, some of the, the performances they had done and things like that. So for our virtual participants, they wound up feeling that sense of place, even though they weren't physically in Chicago's auditorium, they felt like, um, you know, it's a place that they were in. And then we also sort of tried to extend that out uh, to their homes by sending each participant, you know, a box of theater concessions, you know, programs for the event, popcorn, candy, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and then for our social hour, uh, we had 20 of our salespeople put together an online Zoom play uh, where they had, you know, ordered uh, costumes on Amazon and, you know, worn them and presented them on Zoom and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and we think that that kind of hybrid experience worked because it was true to all of our kind of core, um, core values and, and core senses of even if we were together, we would have wanted to see people's unique personalities. We would have wanted to have small breakout sessions where they get to know each other really well. We really want them to leave the event with some sort of a memory that will last kind of going forward. So, you know, when I think about the future, um, 
I'm sure I will have a sales meeting that gets back together physically all together in one place again. Um, I know a lot of my sales team wants to actually have it in the auditorium theater because they you know, developed a sense of place there. Um, but I also think with customer events, um, you know, we're finding, you know, with user groups and user conferences that these multi-day experiences that happen online are ones that people will kind of dip into maybe for just 20 or 30 minutes. Um, and that's really exciting from a, a customer engagement standpoint as well. Um, so I really think, uh, you know, it's not, again, it's not going to be going back to just physical events. I think we've raised the bar where now every physical event is also going to need to have an online component that's equally strong and equally as engaging as the in-person component so that, you know, clients and partners and different participants can sort of choose how invested they want to be. And maybe it's just dropping in for a half hour session or, or maybe it's going on site for the full, you know, two or three day event. Um, but I think it's, I think this experience with virtual has raised the standard for marketing and events people now expecting them to do kind of double duty with both events going forward. I absolutely agree. Um, in particular, because we have two events coming up that will be hybrid this year. So it'll be a fun new challenge for us to tackle. Now, JD, I'd love to shift gears just a little bit um, because there is another area that really became a critical focus for a lot of companies. And that was, you know, how do I engage my customers in a really deep and meaningful way, um, particularly over the past year? And you wrote an article about this, um, about being professionally persistent, I think is, is what you, you coined in that article, uh, without obviously being annoying to customers. And uh, since sales enablement professionals, um, our audience, since they often help drive sales engagement strategies, can you share some of your best practices with our audience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the notion of professional persistence comes from uh, sort of data, you know, with the academic background, I'm always trying to look at uh, data and trends to see what we can learn. Um, and when I looked at data across you know, multiple companies that I've worked for, um, we found that it took about 17 touches to actually make a connection with a, a prospect. Um, so 17 times you needed to reach out um, with a cold call or an email or something before they recognized your name, understood your product, and were able to decide whether or not they wanted to meet with you for a singles call. Um, and 17 is an awful lot of engagement. Um, so we really had to come up with, you know, what are the best practices for, you know, that persistence uh, so that I get my client's attention, but I'm not annoying them or, or you know, being unprofessional when they do it. Um, so the first thing is, you know, find the people where they are. Um, when I began my sales career 20 years ago, uh, the old paradigm was about everyone's going to work in an office. They're sitting at a desk. Uh, with a phone there and so it was it was just about cold calling and, and getting someone to answer their phone um, today of course we're not in offices as much as we used to uh, but technology is forced so that we also have all of these online lives with facebook and twitter and cell phones and all different modes of communication um, so when we're trying to engage in a prospect cold we really need to use all of those modes of communication phone calls text you know, social networks, LinkedIn, you know, all of those different places to really engage the prospect where they're at and where they're living. Now, part of the kind of flourishing of technology has also meant that it's really lowered the cost to be able to engage somebody. Um, you know, I could send a semi-personalized email to 5,000 people in just a few minutes for just pennies. And so, you know, as a result, our inbox are flooded with sales, you know, emails every day. Um, and so the second really thing we need to do is, you know, cut through the clutter 
Um, part of it is having a high enough volume that, you know, if your message is getting sent out and it's one of, you know, 16 emails someone received that day, um, you know, there's a high likelihood that it was just deleted without being read. So, you know, we, we need to know that and we need to teach our salespeople that you don't just send one email and expect you're going to get a result. You really need to have a, a reason to engage multiple times or a way to kind of modify that message five, six, seven, twelve, seventeen times um, so that it, it's actually seen. And then finally, I think uh, another best practice is really all about um, targeting the message and having something meaningful to say to the person that you're talking to. Um, you know, when I began selling two decades ago, a, a typical cold call said, I'm wondering if I could get 15 minutes of your time to learn more about you. Whereas people always say when they call me, I want to hear what's keeping you up at night. Um, today, the expectation is that there's a lot you should know about me before you even picked up the phone because I have so much of my life online with my LinkedIn profile or my website or my company's website or whatever. Um, so kind of the third best practice is really making sure that you have a good targeted message that resonates with something you know about the person um, and brings them meaning on the first engagement um, rather than, you know, kind of hoping that they're going to be generous with their time and, and engage in a sales process with you. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about productivity, right? Because that, I think, has also become, I think it's always been a primary focus for revenue leaders, but I think as teams have had to adjust to some new working norms, I think it's it's become a little bit of a concern, you know, how how productive and, and, and how much are their reps are actually like participating and engaging in, in, in what they're supposed to do to hit their, hit their goals and their, their targets. And in an article you wrote about um, how important it is to set appropriate targets. Um, and you mentioned it's important to really base the goals on evidence that it can actually be attained. So how can that help improve productivity and effectiveness of a sales team from your perspective? Yeah, great question. You know, when I started working at Modus, um, the leadership team here and our board really spent a lot of time in the early weeks sort of refining how would we set sales targets? Um, and we we landed with this philosophy that um, we wanted to give our sales teams a culture of winning. We wanted them to be able to to stretch and you know overachieve um, and not have it super easy. Um, but um, you know we didn't want people to have targets that were unrealistic. And so we spent a lot of time really refining a methodology from looking back. At, you know, what's what has the legacy performance been of individual reps, of individual teams, of individual products? What's the seasonality of that? And then really trying to set sales goals that, you know, history says, um, you know, not only can be achieved, but are highly likely to be achieved. And then adding a little bit of stretch goal to it, you know, so that people need to expend a little bit of effort. Now, I know a lot of other organizations just, you know, begin top down and say, we want our company to grow 15% this year. So let's just raise everyone's quota 15%, or let's hire 15% more salespeople. Um, and the problem with that is that it's not based in any fact. Um, you know, those sort of just blanket goals assume there's never going to be any turnover in your sales organization. No one's ever going to leave. Or it assumes that if you hire a new person, they're going to be 100% effective on day one. And we just know that that's not true. Um, and so really, you know, spending time looking at what has happened in the past and then giving people just a tiny stretch, um, you know, is, is really a, a formula that I've landed on that really 
makes everybody happy, helps us hit our sales targets, um, and really gets us in a culture of success. And then my other kind of secret that I don't um, I don't admit to all the time is, you know, when I set out the quarterly goals, that I also really like to have the first quarter goal be a little bit less than what I know the team is going to do, and I'll make up for it in you know Q3 or Q4. Um, because that first quarter lets us really get out of the gates um, with a feeling of success. We set targets where actually my team hit 120% of what we put out there as a Q1 goal. Um, now, now, we actually landed pretty much where I thought the team was going to be, um, but I, I knocked down the Q1 quota. So now every seller feels a sense of accomplishment. They're happy, they're motivated. Um, you know, they're not going to be thinking about going to another organization because they think the rest of the year is going to be really successful. Um, and I think that little trick is important uh, because if you end Q1 missing your number, you're just playing catch up for the rest of the year. Um, so, you know, kind of setting those targets, uh, you know, in that way is, I think, what's led to success for me. You also asked about this sense of how do I know people are working at home? Um, and I think that there's kind of two schools of thought in that culture of, you know, do you believe you've hired professionals that you can trust to do the job? Um, or do you have more of like a kindergarten teacher approach where you feel you need to be supervising everyone all the time? Um, our salespeople are some of the most highly compensated people in the organization. Um, and so we do a rigorous recruiting process with them. We really dive in on values. And I really have a sense of trust amongst my team that, um, you know, they're going to work wherever they are. Um, now, for us at Modus, um, we never had, even when we were in offices, we never had a nine to five culture. We sort of put people, um, set people goals and said, you know, here's the target you're supposed to achieve. We trust that you're smart. We trust that you're hardworking and we trust that you're going to do what it takes to achieve your goal. And if that means you can hit your quota by working two hours a day, that's great. And if that means you're going to hit your quota by working 10 hours a day, that's great. You figure out what works for you. We sort of call it find your own balance. Um, but if we've set the targets, you know, at sort of industry standards and reasonable things that most people are accomplishing in, you know, seven or eight hours, we think we've had a good balance with our employees and, and have happy sellers as well. I think that is a very healthy approach, JD. Now, uh, to close, and this has been a fantastic conversation, so thank you so much for your time. But to close, I'd love to get your opinion. What do you think will be the future? Um, what What will the future of business look like? given the uh, technological innovation that organizations have encountered and adopted in the past year? Yeah, so this again comes back to that notion of work forward. Um, you know, I am convinced we are never going back to an office that's nine to five, that every employee is in that office all the time. Uh, we know that we have technology that makes virtual work really possible. You know, high-speed internet connections, great cameras and microphones in our computers, um, makes it really simple for people to kind of connect from anywhere in the world. Um, and we know from a year of experience now that, you know, not only can it be done, it has been done, and employees really liked it. Um, and data also shows that people have been much more productive in the last year than they were when they were commuting into an office and, and, and all of that sort of stuff. So I believe that employers of choice are going to be companies that, you know, recognize this, you know, work-life integration uh, that, that everyone has. Uh, and we'll say, we're going to have some physical office spaces and there'll be times that you're going to want to meet face-to-face -face with a colleague or a, a client. And, and so here's a physical office to do that in. Uh, but I also think that they're going to recognize 
you've got kids or a dog that needs to get taken to the vet or, or whatever, you know, your personal life might be. And creating flexibility to, to let people kind of structure their, their work days around, you know, their personal commitments. Um, in the end, I think then, you know, it's a, it's a, a fluid environment where, you know, if you go into an office, great. If you want to go live in an Airbnb in Hawaii for a week and, and do all of your sales meetings from there, that's great too. Um, but I think it's, 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 a it's a flexibility that makes people effective, makes people happy. And ultimately, I think loyal to their employers. JD, thank you again so much for your time today. I enjoyed learning from you. I enjoyed being with you. Thanks for having me. To our audience, thanks for listening. For more insights, tips, and expertise from sales enablement leaders, visit salesenablement.pro. If there's something you'd like to share or a topic you'd like to learn more about, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you.